Luke chapter 17, verse 20, through to the end of the chapter. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or There it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. I'll come back to this particular translation and should actually, is better understood if we understand the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, here he is, or he, uh, he, uh, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning who flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But he must, must first suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, Where there's a dead body, there are vultures. There the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. <coughs> I bring to you the message of God from this reading, Luke chapter 17, about the coming of the kingdom. Last week our theme was hesitant obedience. This week, disobedient hesitation. 
the story of Lot, his wife and his daughters, the events surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah, and the destructions of the city by burning sulfur are for many people, I believe, a sort of a tale from ages past. I dare say that not many believe that there were actually places like Sodom and Gomorrah, let alone, the dis- let alone the destruction because of the wrath of God. The Bible refers directly to Sodom and Gomorrah in about 50 verses. And in all those references, the tone is somber and very negative. It has the message of final judgment. So, just before I go into the, uh, the sermon of today, let's just make sure what we read and what we believe. It is not Luke speaking in chapter 17, but our Lord himself is speaking. These are direct words from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand at least three things from this then. If one believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, it speaks for itself that one also believes the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus then speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah, we must understand that he knew that these places really existed. That's the first conclusion that I think we must draw from this. If Jesus referred to Sodom and Gomorrah, the son of God, then they really existed. One cannot take some of the words of Christ to be true only because one likes the tone of it and take other words just because we and don't believe it just because we dislike the tone of it. Rejecting one part of Scripture means that you reject all parts of the Scriptures. But by doing so, one will reject life and end up with judgment. So we are, we are more or less caught up here to say Jesus believed in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus believed it was really there. So we believe that it's really there. It was there. And we had to learn. We've got something to learn from it. Especially if Jesus says so. Secondly, if other pages in the Bible refer to Sodom and Gomorrah in judgment terms, Jesus certainly understood it that way too. Solomon and Gomorrah are events in the past which had a meaning for the consummation of all future events of God's own timing when the Son of Man comes in the clouds. So Solomon and Gomorrah was there thousands of years ago to show us something of what's going to happen in the future when Jesus comes again. Thirdly, The horror of Sodom and Gomorrah is real. We cannot mince with words as if what happened then will never happen again because God loved us so much that he will never allow this to happen again. 
we need to understand. The horror then, I would like to believe, is not much compared to the horror that awaits us if we reject the Son of God. Then, the kingdom of God. It is wise to understand the teaching of the Bible about the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches that the kingdom of God has two aspects to it. One is that it has come. But it also teaches that the kingdom will come. It has come. Jesus said to the Pharisees who asked them about the coming of the kingdom, the kingdom is in your midst. It's not, it's there because Jesus has already come. Therefore I choose the translation not to say it's within you because Jesus was talking to the Pharisees who didn't even believe in him. But Jesus said, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is with you. It's in your midst. Christ announced the kingdom of God in his ministry and work of salvation. Therefore, many, thing, many of its blessings are here to be enjoyed now. But many of those blessings are not here yet. Some of the power of the kingdom is available now, but not all of it. Some of the curse and the misery of the old age can be, can be uh, overcome now by the presence of the kingdom. Because it's already here. But some of those things cannot be overcome because the kingdom has not come in its full sense. The decisive battle against sin and Satan and sickness and death has been fought and won by the King, Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection. But the war is not over yet. The war will be over when Jesus comes. Therefore, Jesus declares in Matthew chapter 12, 28, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. That's an example that Jesus used to say the kingdom has come. The result is the casting out of demons. And they have no power against the king of the kingdom. And there is a stronger man than the strong man that has come. And he is binding the owner of the house. It's Jesus. So the kingdom has come. It is here in our midst without those kinds of observable signs. Like the Pharisees thought, you know, if the kingdom of God has come, show it to us. Give us an idea of, you know, we'll, we'll throw up the yoke of the Roman Empire. We'll do all these things. And Jesus said, no. It is, it is happening. The kingdom has come. Jesus has come. He's, he's, he's already won that battle. We know about that. And we are moving towards the, the final coming of the kingdom. That's yet to come. And is referred to as the days of the Son of Man. It will be visible to all like lightning in the sky. When Jesus comes again, then there will be no doubt about that fact that he has come. But up to that day, it seems to me that the Bible says, the kingdom has come, Jesus has come, 
the, the gospel is preached about the kingdom of God that has come. But up to that day, people, the day of the final coming of the, of the, of the Son of Man, people will live as if the kingdom has not come. It will be preached to some who will believe and, and, and will, will repent. And they will find the kingdom of God right within them. But there are others who would hear this message and they know about it. And they will just keep on living as if nothing's happened. It happened in the days of Noah and it happens in the, happened in the days of Lot. But there will be a definite end to this age. And it will happen suddenly. And it will result in separating those who long to see the Christ come on the one hand and those who rejected him while they were living. Therefore, the coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is marked by judgment. Now, we've seen the kingdom has come. Can I now refer to the coming of the coming kingdom? So you can understand what I'm meaning. There will be a day when there will be a flash in the sky when the Lord Jesus will come. But in the in this interim period, the kingdom is also coming. It's it is something that's growing. It is something that the Lord Jesus told us to pray, Thy kingdom come. There's a spirit and a spirit and an attitude. The first thing is people live as if nothing is going to happen. Jesus described the consummation of his kingdom or the days preceding the coming of the coming kingdom in terms of the history of Noah and Lot. We see that people are living as if nothing is going to happen. The eating and the drinking and the marrying and the buying and the selling and the planting and the building point to activities of people who just believe that things will always run the same course as yesterday. As if there will be no tomorrow that will be different. But by living as if nothing is going to happen, they actually say things will indeed happen but we leave no room for everything apart from what we now know. And this is our world, our expectation, and let's say, our kingdom. And therefore they're building another kingdom. People who are now building their own kingdoms here without a view on the eternal kingdom of God, when Jesus comes again, are actually abusing what God has ordained for the coming of his kingdom, for their own kingdoms. It was ordained that God would uh, build, uh, that man would build and plant and marry, because that's all part of the, of the, of the uh, uh, mandate God gave us. But these things were meant to be done for the glory of God. The earthly activities of the creature of God were meant to be focused on his glory. But now people take these things, gifts from God, and instead of glorifying God with it, they glorify themselves. They build another kingdom around themselves. It is 
their buildings, their harvests, their crops, their children, their marriages. And these are the things they live for. John Piper writes, God's righteousness is an unwavering allegiance to do what is right. That is, most ultimately, to uphold the infinite worth of His glory. We are created to have this same unwavering allegiance to uphold the infinite worth of God's glory in all we do. This is what it would mean for a human being to be righteous. To live to the glory of God. But now we read in Romans chapter 1. What happened? We exchanged the glory of God for an image in the form of corruptible man. You see, that's the point. We are now not focusing on God anymore. But we've taken what is God's glory and we have assigned God's glory and the glory we should have to earthly things. And when that happens, we build our own kingdom and we carry on in this world as if nothing can ever happen to it. And that is the point of the teaching of Jesus when he says, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. These words are extremely important for the understanding of the rest of the paragraph of Luke. When the people in the days of Noah and Lord became worshippers of themselves, they built their own kingdoms and they lost sight of God, of His glory, of His kingdom, and therefore they lost sight of His judgment Upon sin. They lived for their own glory. This of course. Happens. In our society. And so by the way. It's not something modern. You know we we talk about our modern society. What is modern about our society? It is just the same old thing that happens over and over again. It happens in the day before the flood. It happens in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's happening now again. Exchanging the glory of God for created things. We lose the anchors of what holds our morals together and then devise our own moralistic code. Money and sport become the things we worship. I don't need to tell you anything about the worshipping of sport. Not in this weekend. Can I just ask you, I, I thought about it this morning when I got, uh, got up a bit earlier to, to think about things again and pray about them. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm now talking to church people. I, I know I'm talking to people who've come to church this morning. Can I ask you this question? Is coming to worship giving you the same excitement and joy as watching the footy yesterday? You understand what we're talking about here? I bet you, before the day is over, 
You'll be talking to someone about yesterday's footy match. Right? I'm not so sure though that you'll be talking to someone I'm not talking about those in the streets. I'm talking about those who worship with you here this morning about the grace of God. You get the point? Where do our, does our allegiance lie? I find it amazing. I find it, find it absolutely amazing that people slept on the side of the road, on the hard concrete pavement to buy a tick ticket to go to the footy match. There was one lady that I heard on the TV yesterday. She said, I won't be here when the match is played tomorrow because I won't be able to stand it. If my team loses... I'll have a heart attack. You're laughing. In my heart there's pain. What excites us in this life? Is it the kingdom of God? Is it the things about eternity of Christ? People can't sit for 20 minutes or 40 minutes in the church pew because that is so uncomfortable, they say. But goodness me, come hail or snow, they'll sit and barrack for their team. Can I just ask, and I know maybe you're not, you're not guilty of this, what now today? The footy is gone. The match is played. The season is over. What has that done to our salvation? What, what permanence is in it? Maybe we are exactly where the Paul, well, Paul writes to Timothy about the last days. He says, we will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, Arrogant, revelous, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Are we any different from what is described in these verses? It is an offense to modern man to even suggest that there is a judgment coming. It is an offense to suggest that his achievements will come to nothing. It's an offense to suggest that men are sinful, especially in the sight of modern scientific advancement. It is an offense to suggest that economic prosperity is worth nothing and that he who finds his treasure in heaven is far richer than the riches on earth. 
Can I just put this into perspective? When the richest man on earth at the moment was once asked to speak, when he was invited up to the podium, it took him so many seconds. And someone remarked, the person who introduced him, that from the time he rose from his chair to walk to the pulpit, he has gained another so many million dollars in that time. The richest man on earth, if he does not put his trust in God, will lose it all. He is the poorest of all men. In the time that the Son of Man comes, let's be sure about that, there will be a separation between the righteous and the unrighteous. It happened in those days, in the days of Noah, that the Bible says Noah entered the ark. It is said of Lot, Lot left Sodom. But he does not fall within the scope of the sermon to fully explain the grace of God towards the righteous. But one thing we know is that God will certainly rescue those whom he elected from all eternity. As the ark was to Noah, and as the angels were to Lot, so the Lord Jesus Christ is to those whom he came to save. The godless will end up in eternal destruction. The righteous will end up with God. In those, in the words of the Lord telling the parable of the sheep and the goats, some will hear these words. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, you who are blessed by the father. To those on his left he will say, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. There will be separation. The event of the consummation of the kingdom of God will therefore be both a magnificent display of God's grace in Jesus Christ and the most terrible display of his judgment in Jesus Christ. For this event, the most grand and the most important event of all times, we need to be prepared. And the importance of being prepared is described by our Lord in one short sentence. Remember Lot's wife. It makes you stop dead in your tracks. Remember Lot's wife. 
It might have escaped your attention, but Jesus was not addressing the Pharisees at this point. Jesus spoke to his disciples. He spoke to those who have already been following him, as if they might be forgetting the severity if they forget what happens to Lot's wife. Who was Lot's wife? The Bible does not say much about her, but one thing we can say is she was a spiritually blessed person. We can assume that she was there, as J.C. Rowell puts it, when Abraham first received the promises. When he built his altar the first time by his tent, and Bethel, she was probably there. When her husband Lot was taken captive by the king of Sodom and delivered by God's interference, she was there. When Melchizedek, the king, uh, the king of Salem, came forth to meet Abraham with bread and wine, she was there. When the angels came to Sodom and warned her husband to flee, she saw them. When they took them and her by the hand and led them out of the city, she was one of those whom they helped to escape. She was a spiritually privileged person. But these things went past her as if nothing would influence her. Her heart was not in it. And as a matter of fact, she had the world in her heart. And she lived. And as she lived, she also died. She was spiritually privileged, and yet she was spiritually depraved. And that is true, that nothing can harden one's heart as much as the familiarity with the things of God, which is not accompanied by faith in God. Therefore, we can say she was spiritually blind and depraved. The warning of Jesus to remember Lot's wife comes with a special context. And I never understood this. As a matter of fact, I read over and over it. And I, even in, the, in this week, I had to, one night when I read this, just say, Lord, I, I don't understand this. I, I can't see the point. Can you please help me? And I believe the Lord did. It's a special context. I'll read to you that verse. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down and take them out. And likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. The guest of this warning lies in this phrase, whose goods are in the house. It is about losing your life or saving your life. I know it's dangerous to take words out of context or just to apply one meaning to a single word in all contexts, but we need to know that the word used here in this verse, life, is actually soul. 
It is the very essence of what determines life and what determines death. He talks about those things which have the highest value and cost for us as we set it against life and eternity. If one seeks to keep his life, he is like the merchant then who found that pearl of great value. It is said of Zacchaeus that he wanted to see Jesus and that word want there is seek. He saw Jesus and he found it. It is to be determined to find. And then when you find it to get value from it, to keep it, it is, in the Greek, it has got something to work to get a profit. And if I then can paraphrase this verse, we could say something like this. Anyone whose heart is set on working for something other than godliness to gain his life. Jesus declares in Mark 8, 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Lose his soul. Let's complete the sentence then. If anyone whose heart is set on working for something other than godliness, to think that he could gain his life, he will destroy himself. That is the effect of those words. Remember Lot's wife. Her heart was in Sodom, though her body was outside. She had left her affections behind when she fled from her home. Her eye turned to the place where her treasure was. And she was destroyed. Was she only destroyed because she looked back? She was destroyed because her heart was there. She wanted to go back. She couldn't look to the hills where there was redemption. She had left behind a world, a kingdom. That's why she looked back. The warning of our Lord is for us to make sure where our treasure is. Because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And Jesus said, the cost of discipleship is this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom, Jesus said. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what, for what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This is not where the verse stops. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. 
You see, when you, when you follow Jesus, when you take your cross, take up your cross and you follow Jesus, you side with Jesus. The things of this world then become of no value. And what people think of you is not important. What they say of you is not important. Because you might gain the friendship of the world and become an enemy of God. Lot, Lot's wife was ashamed of God. She was more concerned about fitting into the adulterous and the sinful generation. And she looked back. She yearned back. Her heart was behind her. She was not fit for the kingdom of God. So what's in your house? Which means your life. Might hinder you. From inheriting the kingdom of God. If in that day the Son of God comes and your heart is in your house and not there where it says, Flee! Think and remember Lot's wife. Friends in Christ, Christ is coming. And his coming will separate, but make separation between the righteous and the unrighteous. Some will be saved and others will be lost. Some will try to put a price on their souls, but they will lose it. Others would have taken up their cross and followed Jesus, losing their lives only to gain it. Christ is coming again. Remember Lot's wife. Amen. Our Father, we pray today that you will help us to put things right, to have our priorities right. Because it might be that we are so tied up with this world that we never think about the kingdom of God. That the events of this world and the concerns of this world would distract us from your glory. That we live to our own glory and our own satisfaction and in this way exchange your glory for what is worth nothing. Help us to remember Lot's wife. She lost everything. Help us, Lord, to be not only ready for that day, not only prepared for the day of the return of Jesus Christ, but help us, Lord, to be fruitful until that day.
We pray, Lord, for your church today. We have heard of reports coming in from places where people need your prayers. We think of what happens in the Presbyterian Church of India. We've heard of the growth there and them forming a presbytery. We pray, Lord, for the ministers of your church in that country, not only within the Presbyterian Church, but other places too. We hear of reports of people now being prepared to hear the kingdom of God. And we pray, Lord, that through the radio and through TV and other media, they will indeed hear that, that you will change the hearts of the, uh, the leaders so that the hearts of the people will change too. We think of Bolivia and what happened, what's happening there. And we pray, Lord, for your blessing upon people working there. We pray, Lord, for people who work in mission hospitals, for those who have become, after years and years of service, humanly speaking, tired and exhausted. We pray, Father, that you will strengthen their, 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 uh, uh, them and that you will once again give them that renewed heart. We pray for their wives and for their families. We pray for the teachers at schools. We pray, Lord, for the Christian schools, not only in our country, but in, in the whole wide world. We pray, Father, that a life in Jesus Christ and a life view will be planted there. We pray, Lord, for our own church. We think of those who are sick. We pray, Father, that you will be with those who need you and those who probably do not think about you as if they need you. Father, we pray that you will be with them. We pray for those who are on holidays and those on the road. We pray that you will give them protection and bring them back to us again. Father, we also remember before you Jared today. We know that he's been put before a special challenge to reach out to the people in Tatura with the others. And we pray, Father, that even when he does not feel well, that you will give him that grace to look up to Jesus Christ and find his strength there. So, Lord, we pray for our college and the students in the college and those who lecture there. Father, we once again bring before you the situation in Muldura and ask for your grace to be enough, that you will take away confusion that might be there and that you will replace it with your love and with your understanding. Help them, Lord, to grow in faith. And indeed, Lord, we pray that you will bring about reconciliation. Hear us as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.